0: This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Takovas is your stop before attending your concert. All Takovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Takovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. I wear mine every time I go out, especially to a concert. Stop by your local Takova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots
1: today. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
0: Outdoor adventures won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. I do! Now pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to This Country Life. I'm your host, Brent Reeves. From coon hunting to trot lining and just general country living, I want you to stay a while as I share my stories and country skills that'll help you beat the system. This Country Life is proudly presented as part of Meat Eaters Podcast Network, bringing you the best outdoor podcasts the airways have to offer. All right, friends, pull you up a chair or drop that tailgate. I think I got a thing or two to teach you. Make and do with what you have. In the grand scheme of things, grand things are grand. Newer, bigger, better, and more. Who has the most things wins, right? Or do they? That's my best dude from Dateline Imitation. But my question is this. Is newer, bigger, and better always the best? Well, it depends on the situation. I'm going to talk about it this week. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. This story was told to be by my dad, Buddy Reeves, and I've heard him tell it several times and it made me laugh every time he did. He would have been in elementary school at the time, and I assume anywhere from six to ten years old, he never was real clear about it. But he and a group of neighboring kids were playing cops and robbers. And when I say neighboring kids, I don't mean neighborhood kids. They would have been neighboring farms. It was in the summertime, and they were all running around barefooted, shirtless, and wearing their overalls. Now, my father grew up on the same 40 acres he was living on when he died, except for being stationed at what used to be called Hunter Air Force Base in Savannah, Georgia for two years, and taking a job at one of the car plants in Michigan after he mustered out of the service, he would live there on that land all his life. Interesting side note on how they all moved back to Arkansas. My brother Tim, who is eight years older than me, went to the first grade in Ypsilanti, Michigan. He went to the second grade in Warren, Arkansas, the same school he, our middle brother Chuck, and I all graduated from. Dad said Tim came home from school one day while they were still living in Michigan, and while talking to him, Tim said dog instead of dog. I'm not sure they even ate supper before he packed them all up and came home. And it was a good thing because I would be born in the spring of his second grade year, and I can't imagine saying good dog when whaling trees are raccoons. Brent, what? Keep your hands on the wheel up there. You're telling a story. Oh yeah, cops and robbers. Anyway, there was one fella in particular that my dad absolutely hated. He said he was mean to him, and there was nothing that could make him like that boy. He was unbeaten in cops and robbers, regardless of which side he played on. He was bigger and he was stronger than everyone else, and he bullied folks to get his way. He said they'd all whittled themselves a a pistol out of wood, and had, had spent some considerable time doing it, making them look just as real as they could. He said that while they weren't works of art, there was no mistaking what they were, and they took their playing seriously, and their props even more so. Dad said he was playing the cop and had caught and jailed everyone except the main one he was after, a boy that he hated. He said he would catch a glimpse of him occasionally, but he was never in the open long enough for him to get a clear shot at him. And all of them played by the honor system, and you knew if you'd gotten away or you hadn't. It was important to do so because the next time, it might be you whose life and liberty might be at stake. He said it was just about the only rule that that boy followed. Now, through the woods, behind the barn, in the smokehouse, in the hayloft, he chased and tracked his suspect. He said it went on for hours, and finally, finally, he caught a glimpse of him down by the creek near the swimming hole they'd cleaned out. Now, interestingly enough, this was the same swimming hole that my dad said this boy nearly drowned in one. Apparently he couldn't swim, and after jumping in the creek on a dare during a spring overflow, he was swept away and was calling out for my dad to help him. I asked my dad if he jumped in to save him. He said, no. I watched him disappear down the creek, thinking to myself, if you can't swim, you're not going swimming. Now, he, he never told that story that he didn't say how grateful he was that that boy didn't drown. But I also never heard him say there was anyone else with him when it happened, which makes me wonder who dared him to jump in in the first place. Back to the story, Dad said he'd tracked him down to the swimming hole and he had slipped up behind him without him knowing, and he hopped off the bank holler and stick him up as his bare feet settled into the sandbar where his suspect had been eluding capture. He got the drop on him. He was caught. Dad said his pistol was sticking out of his rear pocket, and he reached over and snatched it out of its holster, and now he had him at double gunpoint. He hollered for the other boys to come witness how he'd captured him after all this time. The unbeatable had been beaten. The uncatchable had been caught. He said they were knocking leaves off the trees, running to the swimming hole to watch the proceedings. Dad said there was a log that lay on the ground that ran out into the creek and he told his prisoner to have a seat on it while they waited on everyone to get there. And after they did, Dad said, I told him that for all his crimes that they weren't even going to bother with a hanging that he was just going to shoot him and get it over with. That's my dad, the tightwad, saving money by taking out the middleman. Anyway, he said, I asked that joker if he had anything to say before I shot him. The boy looked up at him and said, Do you mind if I smoke? Now, the first time he told me this story, I said, smoke? He said, my dad said, yeah, smoke. Most all of us chewed or tobacco or dipped, snuff or smoked. And I told him, yeah, you can smoke, and I'll have one too. So, being a southern gentleman and honoring the last request of the doom, along with wanting a cigarette himself, my dad allowed his captive to reach inside the bib of his overalls and take out his tobacco sack and paper. He rolled them each a cigarette, stuck one in my dad's mouth, and reached back in the bib of his overalls and whipped out a little gun he'd whittled that my dad didn't know about. He pointed at my dad and said, pow, he got away again. <laughs> and that's just how that happened.
1: Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bowl saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it. Sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping and browning. Foods going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in, you crave wide-open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth
0: we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but there's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer it's really simple when you pour it in your gas tank, sea foam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Sea foam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of sea foam to get their truck or boat going. You do know someone. Me. I've been using it for years. Really. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Make and do with what you have. My dad and all his pals, including the non-swimming, undisputed cops and robbers champion that he hated, were making do with what they had. They didn't have toy guns, so they made themselves some. He told me that he would run around pushing a metal ring with a Prince Albert can nailed to a stick, and I couldn't figure out what in the world he was talking about, so when I was a kid, he made me one. He took a one inch by one inch tomato stick, and then he centered and nailed a flattened tin Prince Albert can to one end of the stick. He then bent each side up that hung over the edge upwards so that when you rolled that metal ring, the wings, for lack of a better word, on that Prince Albert can, would steer the ring in any direction you wanted. All you had to do was run along behind it, guiding it around in the dirt, and he was right. It was fun, and I made a bunch of those things after he made me the first one when I was little. A un can put a lot of miles behind one of those things and burn up lots of energy. They grew up making do with what they could find, and they passed that lesson on to us. My Uncle Jimmeray, Dad's little brother, told me about one of the boys that he played with that made what they called a tractor. And he made it out of sticks, a washer, an empty wooden spool, and a rubber band. Now, I would never heard of such, so after he had told me about it, I did one internet search, and there it was. DIY wooden spool race car. If you search that up, what I just said, you'll see the video I saw and how to make one. In the video, they used tape and plastic spools and a paper clip, but the end result was the same. My Uncle Jim Ray said that they cut little notches in the edge of the spool so theirs could get some traction and move around in the dirt that they were playing in. Now, that's making do with what you have and really making something fun. I watched that video, and I thought, I got I to gotta make one. That's about as country as it gets, but you and I both know that that stuff's not limited to country living. People everywhere do the same thing. It's just the, the examples that I have to relate to you all come from country living. It's the only place I've ever lived. Now, y'all may have been doing the same thing in the middle of Chicago, which I must admit was a faraway land compared to South Arkansas, and a lot of folks down here thought that apparently, which reminds me of another story that I was told by an old-time policeman during the early years of my career. He was showing me the ropes and telling me old war stories about his life on the job and when he was a rookie back in the late 60s. He'd been assigned to work with an old veteran police officer who was nearing retirement. While on patrol, they stopped an out-of-state vehicle for speeding. The old veteran said, stay here, Junior, and let me show you how we do this. He told me he stood at the right front fender of the patrol car and watched as the old veteran walked up to the window spoke with the driver, obtained his driver's license, and upon returning, he motioned for him to get back in the patrol car as he walked back to get his ticket book. He said the old policeman told him, now you keep a good eye on this man. He's up to something. I was going to give him a warning for the speeding, but after he lied to me, I decided not to. My friend asked him what he lied about, and the old man told him, Well, I asked him where he was coming from, and he told me Chicago. My friend asked him, Well, how do you know he's lying about that? The old veteran slowly turned over and looked at him. He said, you got to be paying attention, Junior got to look for clues and observe so you have some idea of what you're dealing with. If he's telling me he's from Chicago, why does the license plate on his car say Illinois? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> while on the subject of places up north like the state of Chicago, I think about wintertime scenes from stories and television with kids riding sleds down hills when we didn't frequently have snow when i was growing up and if we did it it didn't wasn't a lot and it didn't last long but we sure didn't have any sleds around but i remember one winter when a big ice and snowstorm came and it knocked out all the power now we didn't have electricity for over two weeks and there was no roads open and no place to go but we couldn't leave anyway because someone had to look after all the livestock Now, we had a big buck stove insert in the fireplace that my mama cooked on, and we all slept in the living room that adjoined the kitchen, and I don't ever remember being cold. During the day, we'd play outside after the chores were done, and my brother Tim said we were all going sledding down Goat House Hill. That hill was located across the county road from our house, and it was more of a a bluff bottom than a hill. The land just dropped off into a creek bottom there, And there was a tractor trail that went right down to the steep grade that was covered in ice and snow about eight inches thick. Now, we had the location in the right conditions, but like I said, we didn't have any sleds. You couldn't have found a sled in Bradley or Cleveland County that was designed for snow. But what we did have was tomato boxes. Stacks of waxed cardboard tomato boxes that were bundled and stacked flat in the barn waiting to be folded into the shape of a box of tomatoes next summer when we packed them full and took them to market. Tim was the first to try it. He sat down on the cardboard on the top of that hill, pushed off, and vanished from sight. It was like he'd been shot out of a cannon down that hill. <laughs> it was about a 40-yard ride counting the coasting at the bottom and the terrace road that shot you into space if you were lucky enough to maintain enough speed to make it there. And we spent a couple of days there up and down over and over until we beat all the snow and the ice away. But we were making do, and it was fun. The other night, I was feeling a bit nostalgic and decided to go coon hunting using an old carbide light I'd bought off eBay. That was just like my first hunting light. And what I paid for this one, I could have outfitted a squad of coon hunters back in the day. But they sold them at Johnson's Hardware and Warren, and for about $20, Coach Bobby Johnson could have you seeing in the dark with a light and a can of carbide. I found a source for some carbide, and about a week of waiting on the mailman, I was in business. It was a couple of nights before Christmas when the girls were all taken care of and no pending Santa Elf's chores to knock off the list, and me and old Waylon, we hit the woods. I fastened my light to a cap, and off we went like a herd of turtles to some public hunting ground not far from my home. I posted the video of my carbide light hunt over on my Instagram page, and I got a message from a guy saying, you ain't that old. There were all kinds of battery-operated lights when you were a kid, and he was right. There were a lot. They also made Cadillacs then, too, and I couldn't afford one of them either. I was making do with what I could afford. Anyway, the plan was to cut Waylon loose, wait for him to tree, walk to him, and find that coon using nothing other than my carbide light, just like I used when I was a kid. And guess what? That's just what happened. Waylon struck a track, toted it a piece, and then he treed. Within 15 minutes of getting that hound out of the box, I was looking at the glowing eyes of a masked bandito and listening to Waylon tell the world, at least anyone who was listening, where that coon was. In less than 45 minutes, we were back at the truck having accomplished what I'd set out to do. And I do have a confession to make that I I didn't talk about in the Instagram video. I had one of (laughs) my... I had one of Michael Roseman's Ben Oak headlamps in my vest pocket as a safety valve. But, just like the video showed, I never used it. It was a coon hunt from my youth from start to finish. And I'm going coon hunting tonight. But I'm not going to use that old carbide light. I'll be sporting a new Sunspot Copperhead. I don't have to make do anymore. At least not not for coon hunting lights. But making do is good for you. Teaches you resilience, and gives you the drive to work harder for the things you want or need to make your life easier or better. Like the question I ask at the beginning of this whole episode: Is newer, bigger, and better always best? Well, of course it ain't. A ten-year-old truck will get me to where I want to go as good as a new one, and that old carbide light I used the other night let me see a coon in a tree. I just think being nostalgic and going back and doing the things you did back when you were making do with what you had will certainly make you appreciate where you are even more. I know it has for me. That's what I want you to think about this week. Think about what you had to make do with and if possible put yourself in that spot again, like I did with that old light. and See what you think. I bet it'll be good for you, and it'll surely be a good teaching point for the little folks. I thank y'all for listening, and I hope you'll share this with other folks you think that might like it. iTunes reviews really help get our show out to others as well if you have time to do one. Don't ask me how it works, but all the computer nerds tell me it does. Anyway, until next week, this is Brett Reed signing off y'all be killed
1: hey if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge-to-edge, edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. This festival and concert season will
0: be all about the boots, and Takovas is your stop before attending your concert. All Takovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Takovas has first wear covered with little to no break-in period. I wear mine every time I go out, especially to a concert. Stop by your local Takova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com, that's tcova scom and find your new favorite pair of boots today.